Hello and welcome to Cryptids Decrypted. I am Ashton McCauley, your host. If you don't know me, I'm a writer. I write about all sorts of monsters that go bump in the night and then the drunks who hunt them. I have three books out. You can buy them pretty much anywhere books are sold, but if you go to macashton.com, you'll find out more about them. I really appreciate it. Hey, look, even if you don't want to read them, just go add them on Goodreads because it, uh, it goes a long way. And if you have read them, please leave reviews. But yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's enough talking for me. You're going to listen to me talk for like an hour. So yeah, buy my books. I'm an indie author. It's hard. Uh, yeah, thanks for listening. All right, here we go. Hello and welcome to the last episode of Cryptids Decrypted Season 3. Uh, fitting with our off-the-rails theme, this is actually the second time we've recorded this episode because the first time we did it, I tried to do it with a really bad headset mic, and uh, the audio quality was so bad that we thought it would be better to just re-record the whole thing. So, uh, here we are. So a lot of deja you know, vu right now. A lot of deja vu. And, you know, some of these cryptids, I don't honestly know if they merit going through twice, but we're here. <laughs> we're doing it for you, for the fans. Um, but, you know, before we get into it, like, this has been an insane season. We talked to Ghost Hunters, we learned about Toucan Men... Uh, we even got to enjoy the cinematic masterclass that was Tremors. Uh, John, what was your favorite episode this season? Uh, besides watching all eight Tremors and then having you remind me that I didn't have to do that. Um, definitely Leprechauns. I I was really excited about Leprechauns for a number of different reasons. You know, there were a lot of memes this season on what cryptids we were going to follow, uh, especially when it comes to like, mermaids and atlantis and like stuff that kind of fits in the rails um but leprechauns was fun because it has impacted pop culture in uh, a very impressive way uh, i have a bunch of co-workers in ireland and so it was really cool to be able to reach out and get kind of more of a native spin on it and hear where leprechauns came from and you know just the less merchandised version of it and so that's that's my pick. What was yours, Ashton? What was your favorite episode? So I, I kind of have two. I think the most interesting to me was definitely the Amityville Horror. And I think that a lot of that stems from just the batshit insanity around the court case of that murder and how they tried to use the haunting to basically get the murderer off on an insanity plea. And like the idea that maybe this myth that everybody knows and loves is just was cooked up by a couple of people over a bottle of wine trying to get a guy off jail time is insane. Um, but I'm also really fond of the modern day mermaid sightings, uh, especially the woman who dressed up to promote a fishing derby and nearly died. Oh, I <laughs> love that one. That was that, in Newport, that was so wasn't it? stupid. No, so that one was uh, in British Columbia, but okay, we talked a lot right. about Newport because of the undersea gardens, which. Uh, tied into like they I think they they were the ones who put out the reward for finding that mermaid and then that woman came out uh 50 not quite 50 years later or something like that or less than that 30 years something and uh talked about it later but it's crazy so this is our 30th episode uh listenership has just been insane like far higher than I ever dreamed it would be I can't believe we've only been doing this for a year and a half Feels like forever. Well, because of COVID the pandemic. Years. I mean, it's been like, <laughs> yeah. you know, it would be the equivalent of like 10 normal years. Yeah, I know, right? Like, it's uh, lots changed, you know? Like, in that time, we've also had to interview somebody that we had to take the interview down. Like, it's just been, it's been a wild time. You had to uh, remove 
audiobooks. Like, yeah, I had to, there's, I had there's to a lot. Audiobooks. You know, I, I can't remember if we've talked about it on this podcast, but uh, I did promote an audiobook of mine a while back, and I had to take it down because the audio engineer ended up being associated with QAnon and racism and sexism and all sorts of great stuff. So if you're going through old episodes and you hear ads for that, there's a reason you can't find it. Uh, I took down every single production that I could. Uh, so that's gone now. Not but, great, Bob. Yeah, it was not not how I expected that to go down. Uh, but that's kids. This is why you vet people that you meet on Reddit. But as with every season, we're going to close out season four or season three. Jesus Christ. Season three with a cryptid royale. Four cryptids enter and uh, all of them still leave. But we talk some mad shit and figure out which ones would win in a fight, which ones we like the best. You know, which ones are the most realistic? Yeah, the most realistic. But for today's royale, we're going down under uh, to discuss Australia's best cryptids. And uh, John? I believe you're going to kick us off with uh, some shiny blue mountain panthers. Oh, yeah. So I have it, it's kind of interesting because I have two cryptids and it's it's similar to what I brought to the table for cryptids of the deep where one of them definitely existed at one point in time. We have fossils of them. Um, and in the case of the second cryptid I'm going to talk about, we have actual photos of them. Um, and then one is, well, the Ningen wasn't super realistic but um the first <laughs> one we're going to talk about is the blue mountains panthers uh, this is also known as the lithgow panther and it is effectively a big cat existing in the blue mountains area of australia and that is west of sydney and that's an area we're going to talk about a lot here um new south wales is apparently a hotbed for cryptids in australia um getting a lot of deja vu right now because First time we recorded, you chimed in with that one. Yeah, um, I know, right? <laughs> hey, be, you know, we're, we're, we're going to do even better on this run. <laughs> this is going to be a fun episode. Um, but basically, yeah, they're they're big cats. Um, sightings have them being slightly bigger to a house cat all the way up to like a full-size panther. Uh, and these sightings date back over a century. There are a couple theories on like where these big cats could have come from. Um, one of those is that they were descendants of military mascots of world war ii u.s soldiers that they were just big cats that were released into the wild and they bred and all that kind of stuff and then the others that they were offspring of animals escaped into the wilderness from traveling circuses in the late 19th and earliest 20th centuries which i kind of like that one more like the strong man or the bearded woman felt a little bit of pity for you know this this caged up cat and let him go and now we have blue mountains panthers I kind of, yeah, I kind of like both of those stories a lot, actually. Like, granted, I love anything related to the circus because it gives me opportunities to talk about P.T. Barnum. But, uh, like, I I really like that idea of the mascots as well. Uh, it reminds me of just places like Florida where people release pets and then they end up thriving in the swamp. I know particularly, like, non-native pythons. I think ball pythons in Florida are not native and have started to reproduce and thrive in the swamp because of people just releasing them now are those invasive or like is is invasive where they go in and just destroy the ecology so i I think invasive is where they destroy the ecology and i don't actually know if ball pythons do i mean invasive species could just be anything from that was brought in artificially but yeah i you get some crazy some crazy critters that way especially when things have indeterminate growth but Sadly, panthers aren't one of those things, so we don't have giant panthers. 
Um, you know, probably not a bad thing for us to not have giant panthers in the States. Yeah, indeterminate growth in mammals, I guess, would be problematic. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, um, like, what is a silver bullet panther? Uh, like we had said, large cats around the area of New South Wales uh, in that Blue Mountains area. Uh, but the weird thing is evidence is really limited to eyewitness encounters. There have been some places where they found scratches and random shit really high up on trees suggesting that these blue mountain panthers can climb really well. Um, and then we've also seen some other cattle killed by this creature. Allegedly there have been over 500 sightings in the last 20 years. Uh, and a lot of the people in that area seem to have think, uh, seem to think they've seen, you know, something like a panther and haven't been one of those 500 to report it. Uh, a few notable ones in this, in like the actual suburban area, one kid was scratched by a big cat outside his house. Um, another sighting was actually a very overweight house cat named Toby. And the final one, which is kind of sad, was of a house cat that was lured into a park and shot because they thought it was a Blue Mountain Panther. I think it's the first time we've had house pets shot as a result of thinking they were, or maybe Chupacabra, but... Chupacabra for sure. Um, one thing uh, also was a Sydney student was taking a break in a national park. I believe he worked at a hospital or something and he spotted one and actually took some photos of it. And it's from the daily mail. I don't know how legit it is, but like this thing looks huge and looks like it's moving pretty quick. So definitely something to keep in mind. And you know, there's a lot of different, weirdly a lot of ecologies in the South New Wales area where are or the new, new South Wales. Yeah. New yep, South Wales area right. where like, there's some, tro- there's some like, I don't know, would it be tropical woods? I don't really know the agriculture of Australia, but you know, it's, it's still close to the desert. It's got mountains. There are different, or a few different areas that a cat like this could go. So it is kind of interesting. like panthers too, like, or like a cougars even don't necessarily like, they, they live up here too in Washington. It gets pretty cold. So they're pretty versatile creatures. Oh, for sure. Now there have been multiple reports commissioned looking into these silver bullet panthers. And those were in 1999, 2003, 2009, and 2013. Uh, This was based off a large number of attacks. Dr. Johannes Bauer, not related to Jack Bauer, because that's a fictional character, concluded the myth is likely true, leading to the New South Wales Agriculture uh, Department to send a tracker to identify the creature. Unfortunately, they sent a single officer with a single German shepherd. So there's not much you can really do when you don't have a team. Well, that's actually a recipe for a pretty sad movie right there. Yeah. Yes, it is. A dog going after a giant ass cougar slash panther. Like a a B-list movie, but it would probably still be better than Chupacabra Territories. Yeah. There's not much that isn't. (laughs) Uh, The New South Wales state government kept a large file open around big cat sightings throughout this whole time. And they did a lot of research into scat and hair they found to determine that there was a big cat living in the area, but they couldn't tell if it was actually a Blue Mountain Panther or just a different type. Um, That 2003 study that they did, uh, that was led by Bill Atkinson, who was the technical manager of the New South Wales Agriculture Department. And he was instructed to basically keep his mouth shut. Um, And I mean, it could be just because the files were classified. There was still work in progress. But anytime a cryptid's involved and people are told to keep their mouth shut... I'm a little wary. Yep. 
That's how this stuff spreads anyway. Oh, absolutely. And then in tw- uh, 2008, there was a report that said it more than like, or more likely than not, it exists. And if you're a sports fan, um, you will remember that that is why Tom Brady had to sit out four games and they lost two draft picks. Um, and then in 2011, a pet alpaca was mauled to death with injuries showing a seven centimeter puncture wound to the skull. The final Eesh. thing I want to say here. Oh, go ahead, Ashton. Oh, no, I was just a geesh. I mean, like, that's the, the puncture wound to the skull. I guess, is that, like, from a fang, or? Didn't really say, but my guess is either a fang or, or a claw, but I would think a fang. Like, yeah, because that's, I seven inches, that's, that's pretty long. Yeah, no, no, seven <laughs> centimeters, so, like, oh, like two sorry. and a half inches. Okay, all right. Uh, and the last thing that I did want to bring up is um, Kobe Bryant while he was hiking around the Blue Mountains area, did find giant paw prints that were bigger than his hand. Um, and that that did spark questions around the feasibility of the cats, of, of big cats. And, you know, it's those types of things that spread very quickly on Instagram. And I do want to call out that um, this is not the Kobe Bryant you're thinking of. This is an Australian Kobe Bryant with no relation to the Mamba, RIP. Uh, talk, about, talk about a rough name to have. It's like the guy named Michael Bolton in Office Space. Also, like Kobe Bryant, that's that's a hard name to have because Kobe was named after the city in Japan. Like that's just yeah, it's it's hard to get there. But that's what I got, man. That's Blue Mountain Panthers. They uh they love to sit around. They love to drink Coors Lights and you know wear their jean shorts and tank tops. Yeah, I mean that sounds about right to me. Um. You know, unfortunately, it sounds like I'm going to follow that with something a little, a little bit less realistic. You know, still, still within the realm of possibility. Uh, no, I'm, I'm shitting. It's, it's definitely this is, this is probably one of the most bizarre things I've ever had to research, and it's drop bears. I don't know, man. We've researched some weird shit so far. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, let, let's see. So, drop bears are a classic tale of Australian folklore that definitely wasn't invented way back when to scare tourists. The story goes that there are a group of carnivorous koalas in the outback, uh, just waiting in the trees for unsuspecting hikers and campers to come by. Unlike other predators, there is no chase, no warning, just a fat, fuzzy death machine dropping on you from above and mauling your face off and just eating your head basically they love to eat heads now before we get more into the myth i just want to say that almost anything is plausible in australia given the fact that they have a disproportionate number of the world's deadliest creatures like you could tell me that there are a lot of things in australia and i would buy it even with that koalas that drop out of the trees and eat your head i'm a little skeptical (laughs) so according to legend drop bears are about the size of a leopard or a very large dog with coarse orange fur and darker mottled patterning similar to a koala just less gray. They are exceptional climbers, just like koalas, and use powerful forearms to do so. Less like koalas, because koalas are notoriously, like, pretty lazy, very slow. Um, you know, they just sit in trees, eat eucalyptus, and get high all day. So they're, um, they're koalas with, like, Hulk Hogan arms? Yeah, yeah, basically, like, super jack koalas that they just, like, go up in the trees, and then they drop on your head because they're so pissed off. They lack traditional canine teeth, and instead have two fang-like premolars they use instead. Uh, so saber-toothed koalas, as far as the habitat goes, uh, we shared an Instagram a map on Instagram a while back, and it looks like they are limited to the eastern coast of Australia and a suspiciously koala-shaped area of land that may or may not be uh, just a watermark on the map, but I like to think that they were just fucking with people. And it was they the made same it. color, man. Yeah, it did. I don't it think didn't that look. was a watermark. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, oh, this is a big koala-shaped area of land. Okay, 
Uh, in general, they stick to denser forests because they need trees to drop out of. Uh, the bears are known to drop upwards of 26 feet onto their prey and take down animals much larger than themselves. Uh, of course, uh, given that this may or may not have been started to scare tourists, the suggested repellent is to slather oneself in Vegemite and, <laughs> or put toothpaste behind your ears. And for those who don't know, Vegemite is a spread made from leftover brewer's yeast, which Australians inexplicably love. Uh, it is something that my cousins tricked me into eating. Both times I went to Australia, two times apart, because it does kind of look like jam or jelly. So you go in expecting a nice sweet bite of bread, and you get this horrible, just nasty, salty garbage. Are we sure Australians really like it? Yeah, so they do. That's the weird thing. So it's like In-N-Out and Californians? Yeah. Oh, I'm going to wow, piss God. a lot of people off with that, but I, I have very In-N-Out strong In-N-Out is opinion. delicious. It's, it's a $3 burger, Ashton. It's a $3 burger. So it's not the same. It would be like if you left In-N-Out in the sun and then like for three days and then served it to somebody and said that it ages better that way. That's what Vegemite is. Jesus It's nasty. But anyways, if you slather it all over yourself, it repels drop bears. Like a magnet. Like they drop on you and just go flying sideways. Exactly. It's just like a, (laughs) it's just like water repellent. It's just like, so where, where does this myth come from? It seems likely, uh, that it originated as a campfire story to make sure kids didn't wander off into the woods at night, which Honestly, in Australia, it does not make a lot of sense to me because there's plenty of good fucking reasons not to go into the woods at night that are not carnivorous koalas that drop out of the trees. Just seems like, you know, you could be like, hey, there's a snake. If it bites you, you have six minutes. Or like, hey, there's a spider that hangs out under the lids of toilets. Oh, God. You know? Yeah. Oh, you know, man. That, 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 that's just... real. I just squeezed my legs together, like, involuntarily when you just said that. Uh-huh. Like, oh, yeah. God. It's the reason you shake all your shoes and shit while you're there. Like, <laughs> you just, yeah, it's bad. So, again, I don't know why they needed it as a campfire cautionary tale, but whatever. It's really hard to trace the myth back to a single point. Uh, but some say the first mention is in the Canberra Times in 1982. There was a message in the 21st birthday column, which is, I guess, a column where you can send 21st birthday wishes to people. Uh, it said, Tam, Tam is a name, Tam, beware of drop bears in the future, for sure, totally, love Clint. <laughs> Thanks, Clint. Clint, looking out for the people. Others say it came from Paul Hogan, also known as Crocodile Dundee, doing a bit on the Paul Hogan show that ended with him being attacked by killer koalas, and yet still others say that these drop bears have been a myth for as long as time. Maybe that's like a slight exaggeration, but they say they've they say they've been there a long time. And okay, so were there ever real drop bears? There was a marsupial hunter around fifty thousand years ago, which called the thylacoleo, which is kind of related to what John's going to talk about next. Uh, but they, those were called pouch lions. But they actually hunted more like cats than than koalas, and they definitely didn't drop out of trees. So, my. Not really. So you pet them three times, and then they attack your arm. Yeah, or like a little little baby pops out, you know, of the of the pouch and does it that way. Just like wow. like the alien mouth from Alien. Yeah, where there's like the second alien inside of it. Mm-hmm. That's what marsupials always remind me of, to be honest. You know, because like it does, they, the baby just kind of comes out of the stomach and it goes back in. But either way, actual sightings? No, <laughs> just just no. Uh, there are a few photos, they are very clearly doctored, but I'm really not going to go into them because they they look like absolute horse shit. 
Uh, the last thing I will say, Chris Hemsworth talked about this on an interview about tourism in Australia, and he said, if you're running into drop bears, bring an umbrella. Uh, he's so, got pretty big arms himself. I mean, we're talking about super biceps. I know, and again, like, you know, speaking of Hogan's, like Paul Hogan, he's ripped right now to play Hulk Hogan, so clearly like, drop bears aren't a problem for him with however the fuck big his biceps are. Like, yeah, sure, he's got an umbrella, but he's probably using it like a baseball bat at that point. <laughs> so... But that's that's it for drop bears. Take us take us down a more realistic path because I'm really bad at choosing this. <laughs> yeah. So now we're gonna talk about the thylacine, which uh, this is what I was hinting at earlier. Um, the thylacine is a creature predominantly from Tasmania that spread into Australia. So I'm not cheating here by picking you know different island. Um, but it actually went extinct in 1930 or like 1931. So when I say that, like we have photos, like actual photos of people having it in zoos, having caught it, like it is a legit thing and it fits under the scripted thing because there have still been sightings here and there, which I think we're always going to have when it comes to extinct creatures, especially recently. Um, but it's a cool little creature. I mean, from the photos I've seen, they're adorable. Um, they're known as the Tasmanian tiger, uh, mainly because they have a bunch of stripes along their back and they do look like tiger stripes. They're like 15 to 20 distinct stripes along the back and they have a stiff tail and short legs with dense yellowish brown to gray body hair. The last one that was captured was in 1930 and it swiftly died in the London zoo in 1931. They have medium to large size. They're medium to large size canids. So funnily enough, apparently the same size as a drop bear, uh, but they do have a pouch similar to a kangaroo covering their reproductive organs or similar uh, to a drop bear, really, or similar to a drop bear. Sure. Um, and then the females have a pouch on their back, I believe, uh, from what I was able to find with four teats because their litters are about four, like one to four babies. I don't know what to call them. They're semi-nocturnal. Uh, which is something that's interesting. We're going to see a lot of sightings during the day, uh, but they, they are generally nocturnal and they are considered an apex predator. The problem is we're not entirely sure what their prey were. There's a lot of thinking that says they preferred kangaroos and other marsupials originally. And that just makes me think of like a bear fighting a boxer, kangaroos trying to box them out. Um, but once European colonization happened in Australia, uh, they did start preying on sheep and poultry. Uh, like I had said, that female has that pouch that can carry four babies at a time, uh, which is the estimated size of its litter. And then this is kind of the interesting thing. They can open their jaws bigly, like 80 degrees, and they have a shit ton of teeth, 46 teeth. But everything we've been trying, we've been able to ascertain is that they actually had weak jaw strength all around. And while they may have been able to go after kangaroos and marsupials, they couldn't kill the sheep by biting them. Um, they, they had to use other routes to kill them and then they could eat them. Do they have claws? Is that like how they did it? Yeah, that's, that's spot on. Um, I just want to know like what the hell that wide jaw was for. Like I know last time we talked about this, just speculating like maybe it was so they could like just house food really quickly. Yeah. I think it's to let, they yawn really big and yawns are contagious. So it makes their prey yawn and then Mm. they, they strike. Yeah. That's a good point. You know? Not a lot of not a lot of creatures getting in on the yawn game. No, it's it's underutilized tactic. Like the foot stomp in UFC. <laughs> 
I'm throwing out a lot of random all over the boards references today. It's great. I, uh, I will pretend to get most of them, you know? I know. I appreciate that. Uh, we did try and keep them in zoos a bunch, but it never really took. We kept having the issue where they just died. And like I had said earlier, the last one outside of APAC, Asia Pacific, which is what people typically, they loop Australia in there, uh, died in 1931 in Lynn Zoo. Uh, hmm. Another kind of interesting thing is, you know, I had said that they are predominantly out of Tasmania and they had gone into Australia. But about 40,000 years ago, we did see a ton of vertebrates die off about 90 percent of them um the thylacine also had to compete with the dingo and mixing that with hunting pressure from humans is likely the cause of extinction and i think the other problem is the thylacine wasn't willing to go as far as a dingo and steal your baby god damn it i tried to get through that without laughing yeah i mean like that's that's the thing though you know the dingoes they did they evolved to eat babies and that's just smart Babies have lots of nutrients, you know, like a lot of people in this podcast aren't going to want to hear it. Okay. All right. But, you know, I, I'm, in, I'm in support of animal. No, I'm just kidding. I can't. They, they also allegedly, according to uh, Chris Evans, taste the best. That's that's a good point. We learned in Snowpiercer that babies do taste the best. That was just such a weird film for him in between the Captain Americas, like looking back on that. That's Bong Joon-ho, right? Oh yeah, That's it's the, same guys who did Parasite. It's a phenomenal yeah, movie. Which makes which makes a whole hell of a lot of sense. Yeah. When you've seen like Parasite or Host or Okja, that guy, Bong Jin Ho is like, I'm I'm here to make weird shit. You're gonna get really uncomfortable. Things are probably gonna get super violent at one point. And you know, I'm here for it. I want an Oscar. Worth it. Oh yeah. Now back to the thylacine. We've had over two hundred reported sightings of it. By the Department of Conservation or Conservatism and Land Management in Western Australia from 1936 to 1998. So wide ranging group of years after it went extinct, but not a ton since 1998. Uh, this was mainly around Southern Victoria. Hans Narding reported seeing a thylacine in 1982, which ended up kicking off an extensive year long government funded search, which it, it's always interesting to me when governments get involved. Um, and this one kind of different than, you know, a, a typical cryptid like Japan with a Ningen or Scotland, I'm assuming. I'm just throwing that out there with no basis that their government funded some kind of search into Nessie. Um, oh, we, haven't, we haven't done Nessie yet. No, we haven't. We That's like one of the main ones that we've put off and we're going to continue putting off. Yeah. yeah. Um, All right. In 1985, Kevin Cameron took five photos of what he thought was a digging thylacine in Western Australia. That was never um, confirmed. In 1995, a Parks and Wildlife officer claimed seeing a thylacine in Piangana in the morning. Uh, and again, a lot of stuff happens in the morning because they are semi-nocturnal. In 97, a group of missionaries claimed to see some in Western New Guinea, which that's a different island. Isn't New Guinea a different island? Yeah. Yeah, so interesting that, like, that doesn't really fit into Australia, but the species as a whole potentially could still be um, out there. Klaus Emmerichs took digital photos of one near Lake St. Clair National Park, and I believe he knew that they were extinct and then got excited when he saw one, and that's why, like, he had to take these photos. In 2017, um, there was... It came out that a couple saw... Thought they saw a few thylacine in the 1980s um, in North Queensland. And so James Cook University set out 
580 camera traps to try and take photos of them and found uh, nothing, unfortunately. Uh, there was a $100,000 reward offered by Ted Turner in 1983, but the reward was withdrawn and unclaimed in 2000. And then uh, apparently just five years later, that reward was over 10 x and was up to $1.25 million uh, for the safe capture of a live one. Nothing came up. That that second reward wasn't by Ted Turner. That was by a different group. Um, and that was up to $1.75 million at one point. And then the last thing that I've got on thylacines is the uh, Australian Museum in Sydney uh, made a huge deal about a cloning project in 1999 uh, using material from thylacines uh, historically to try and clone one and, quote, restore it from extinction. And this wasn't just limited to thylacines. This was a few different species. Well, it turns out it was a PR stunt, and people were not happy about that. There's been a lot of, like, weird PR stunts in relation to cloning specifically. It's just such a, cloning is such a hot-button issue because of Jurassic Park. That put it into people's minds that we that we might be able to clone extinct animals. And now it's just like, this, it's good for a headline. Well, can't you, like, it, isn't there actual cloning in, like, South Korea? Like, you can pay 10 grand to get your dog cloned? Yeah, I don't know if it's in South Korea, but I know that there is, there's absolutely cloning. Um, and there's been successful cloning before, of, but living animals only, I think. I know that there's been a lot of talk about cloning mammoths recently, but uh, I don't know, we should do an episode on cloning. Dude, I love it. Yeah, that, it's weird enough. I mean, and they're kind of making cryptids, I guess, sort of. I think it's, it's, it's interesting with cloning because it really is just like... It's just a genetic twin, and, like, they can actually... I don't know, that one's weird, man. Is it a cryptid if, like... I guess, does it stop being a cryptid at that point if they clone it? Because this one's interesting, right? Because it did definitely used to be real. It's kind of like dinosaurs in Texas, you know? Like, oh, they absolutely. Used, they used to be real. Well, The but, question is whether or not they exist currently. And, and that's where we're at with the Meg, you know? Um, yeah, the Megalodon too, you're right. Well, we're, we have fossils. We know the Meg existed at some point and um are now so popular we're getting a second jason statham movie uh about the meg the meg 2 the trench which is great because that's actually the only book in that series i've read because the library had it in my high school and i had a giant picture of a shark on the front and i was like yeah let's get into it so i i didn't even know the meg was in that series until after i watched it i'm kind of surprised michael Crichton never wrote a book about a meg he didn't live long enough that's the answer. And he was he was too busy getting problematic, apparently. Yeah. I, uh, I've i only read one of his books, and I read 80 pages, and it was like, this is... And then I, I like, Googled to make sure I wasn't just being... No, no, yeah, a, he's a, a climate change denier, apparently. Well, was. And then, it, yeah, everybody's like, this is a 550-page essay on why climate change is false. And I was like, yeah, okay. State of fear is some hot garbage. But and, uh, I do want to go read Pirate Latitudes. Pirate Latitudes is a lot of fun. We're, I mean, we're, we're, we're off the rails, but that's fine because season three. Uh, I will also say that Congo is a great book about cryptids, uh, but it really, really shows its age as far as like depictions of Africa. Like, Is it about Kelly Bembe? No, it's it's about an ancient race of apes. Okay. Which I is actually it. a pretty good segue into the next one. But it's, it's, so it's a good adventure book, but it is also like, it is extremely problematic in today's day and age. Like his descriptions of Africa and Africans are not good. And I mean, he also can't write women worth shit. But I mean, he, he was, he was a great writer. He's just, 
if he, if he had lived longer, I'm convinced that he would have been probably a bad dude. But, you know, speaking of giant apes, let's talk about the owl. This is Australia's Bigfoot. And we've brought up the owl a number of times on this podcast, and Cryptid Royale seemed like the perfect place to give it an introduction. I imagine we'll probably have to do an episode on it later on because, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's a big myth. So coming in at six foot eleven, the owie is a tall, hairy, ape-like creature with larger feet than typical bipedal creatures. We're not talking about WWE superstar Bray Wyatt, who his catchphrase <laughs> in the Firefly Funhouse is "Yowie Wowie." Surprisingly, we are not talking about him. I thought so too originally because that was the only way I knew the term "Yowie Wowie," uh, but apparently not. <laughs> But it's described as being timid or shy, depending on who's telling the uh, story. Uh, so again, sounds familiar. It takes its root from Aboriginals, who are the native people of Australia, uh, and their oral histories. Sounds familiar again. The term Yowie originally meant a spirit that roams over the earth at night. And it is also thought to be the same myth as the Yahoo, a similar creature, but with white fur, almost more like a yeti. Unlike American Bigfoot, the Yowie is said to have large fangs, giving them an almost goofy appearance with saber teeth. Australian myths love their saber teeth between this and the drop bears. What is not goofy is long arms that end in claws and a propensity to tear the heads off kangaroos, dogs, and other animals. That's something that I don't think Bigfoot is known for. Like, I uh, read a lot of stuff about Bigfoot crushing and all that kind of stuff, but never, like, specifically ripping heads off. Um, interestingly, there are two types of yaoi, depending on who you ask. One is the tall one, like I just described, similar to American Bigfoot. The other is smaller. And they're around four to five feet tall, which is actually almost like how Peter Byrne described the Yeti. Uh, you know, he described them as smaller ape-like creatures that hunted in packs, I guess, more so than like these big solitary Yetis that we see in um, like hacky books by middling indie authors. But while the interest in the Yowie is high, as far as I can tell, there is relatively little information compared to our own Bigfoot. And part of that might just be that... You know, like, Yowie has a candy line in Australia, but it, like, doesn't have a lot of dedicated cryptozoologists. So it's, like, it's it's out there, but there's not a lot of people who are actually talking about how this is real. And maybe that's because people are more open about being batshit in the U.S. Uh, we are pretty open about it. It's kind of our thing, especially right now. But uh, looking into it, I did find a couple of sightings and some notable cryptozoologists talking about it. Well, in... in- if I can, when you're kind of the, or when, when a cryptid is kind of the lesser of a subset, if you will, like looking at Sasquatch, Yeti, and now the Yowie, I would think that just there's, there's less attention on you. And I'm thinking of more specifically like Tahoe Tessie versus the Loch Ness Monster, where I knew like nothing about Tahoe Tessie until we did that Cryptids of the Deep episode. What I think a lot of it is based on the media machine, too. And, like, so pretty much every culture has a Bigfoot myth. There's actually something that I read that was in uh, De-Evolution by Max Brooks, which I want to do an episode on at some point. But, like, they talked about in that book how there's Yeti myths in Russia. There's Yeti, like, basically anywhere that there was Native people living near big woods, there's myths of these, uh, like, big humanoid creatures and i think that it's not so much that this is a lesser myth it's just that the american media machine is so strong specifically in like pumping out films and books and all that kind of shit and like it is one of the most ubiquitous medias in the world that ours ends up being the dominant story so i think that that's probably part of it at least in my opinion but tony healy 
was a cryptozoologist who researched Yowie for a long time, looking into the aboriginal origins of the myth. Uh, there's evidence of sightings through stories told by the Gitabal people. I'm probably messing up the pronunciation. Sorry. They are the original inhabitants of the Woodenbung area, which is in New South Wales. Is weed legal there? You know, I, I, I kept seeing that, and I was like, "This is this is this is just asking for it." I don't actually know if weed's legal in Australia, though. But yeah, in Woodenbong, so this is a region on the east coast of Australia. It's surrounded by dense woods and mountains, and it has plenty of Yowie sightings. In 1928, there was a sighting in Palin Creek. Two men were out around 10 a.m. and ran into a Yowie standing in a clearing. They described it as seven feet tall, brownish fur, black gorilla-like face. The creature did not attack, and instead only looked at them curiously before darting back into the woods. They also said it had really big feet and could move quickly as a result. But, like many other reports, there was no physical evidence. There was, however, a rash of sightings in the late 1970s. And specifically, after a film came out in the 1970s, and I'd ask you to guess, but uh, we've already done this episode once, so you know what it was. Star Wars! Yep, Star Wars. 1977. Uh, Chewbacca looks a lot like what a lot of people think Bigfoot looks like. So Insert Chewbacca howl here, because I can't, I can't do the growl. Yeah, I've tried, and uh, it's like I do a lot of pretty good impressions. Chewbacca's not one of them. But, so yeah, so interestingly, a lot of sightings after that. And, you know, the connection might be pretty thin, but given how many things we've seen tied to media, who knows? In 1976... Uh, we have a sighting in Woodenbong again, which is, uh, I'm just going to read the description because it's kind of interesting. So it's a woman speaking. She says, I didn't turn on the kitchen light straight away because I knew it was such a moonlit night. I stood at the open window looking at the view. This creature walked onto our lawn from next door, the next door vacant lot, and stood there for two or three minutes looking towards me. He was sort of flexing his arms in a circular movement in front of his face. The creature then moved from the side towards the bedroom where my husband was sleeping. There was another creature exactly the same height and appearance standing outside his bedroom window. They were about five feet tall, covered in tan-colored hair. Their heads seemed to be sunk low on their shoulders. Couldn't see their facial features properly, but they had a shuffling kind of walk. It was much too close to mistake it for anything else. So it definitely seems like more on the curious side again, not particularly aggressive, and actually more in the camp of the shorter Yowie creature, which I thought was interesting. Uh, around the same time, there was a, a dog attack in the area where a woman ran outside to check on her dog. And she thought it was being attacked by one of the many creatures that might attack a dog in Australia. Lots of them. She came face to face with a six foot tall creature crushing her dog against its chest, squeezing the life out of it. The creature then dropped the dog on the ground and the dog died later of its wounds. Sad. Um, hate telling stories where dogs die. Sorry, everybody. But they describe the Yowie as more than six feet tall with an almost hairless face, ape-like, heavy brow, no chin, ginger-colored hair hanging from its arms and legs. Uh, she also said the Yowie was male and then its genitals were quite apparent. So, good for the Yowie. No evidence, but they did find a 22-centimeter footprint, less than a foot long, and some hair samples. So, less than a foot long for Bigfoot seems like, I don't know, dumb? <laughs> I also can't help but think, like, how would it balance? Yeah, like, there's a reason that tall people have bigger feet, and I'm I'm six foot one, six foot two, depending on who you ask, and I I have like a size thirteen, which is bigger than that, and this is supposed to be taller than me. So, tons of modern day videos, uh, Yowie hunters, all sorts of stuff. It's they're all blurry, they're all kind of garbage. Uh, I've reached out to a few of the Yowie hunters for interviews, and sadly, Tim the Yowie Man, I believe is his name, turned us down, but he was very gracious. But yeah, there's there's a lot 
about the Yaoi that we could dive deeper into when we have more time. So I think it might be worth doing another episode. Um, maybe even just combining Bigfoot myths from around the world. Because um, there's just, there's so many of them. And it really is, it is, it is like a, it's a myth that exists in, in a culture that lives close to the wilderness. And I imagine it's just because Bigfoot is so similar to us. And we like to project ourselves onto our environment. Interesting. <sighs> so, four cryptids of the Outback. Let's break them down. John, what do you rank as the most realistic cryptid in this bunch? Well, I mean, it's tough because we know one of them actually existed. And the question is, yeah, does it... drop bears. Well, yeah, oh, obviously. Yeah, I mean... They made a jump the gun there. Well, the Hemsworth <laughs> said that he did. He, he confirmed it. He confirmed it. He confirmed it. He probably... Well, I mean, looking at his biceps, I bet he's actually... A really big drop bear in disguise. Yeah, and also, like, we all know that people with biceps that big can't lie. It just takes so much mental energy to, to keep those muscles in the shape they are. They can't they can't lie, so he's, he's well, and to keep the blood the truth. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Not enough brain blood. Not enough brain <laughs> blood. Um, but, so that's my tough thing, is with the thylacine, we know it was real. We have photos of it in the zoo. We have photos of, like, people having captured it, and they look like the bad guy from Tarzan. But what about modern day? Like, exists... Yeah, I honestly, I think, I think the, uh, the Blue Mountain Panthers are the most likely of, of all four. Yeah, I, I gotta agree with you there. It's, I mean, Kobe it, Bryant it, it sounds like people saw people. it. Kobe Bryant yeah. of all people found paw prints that were giant. Definitely Blue Mountain Panthers, most realistic. Who's gonna win in a fight? Yeah, so I think that's the really interesting and the really tough question because we have four legitimate contenders here. And, you know, I think three are a cut above. The thylacine during its time was a an apex predator, but we still don't know what the prey was. Now, when it when you look at the drop bears, the yowie, and the panther, they all bring specific strengths and weaknesses. The drop bear is like a one hit wonder; like he drops from about twenty six feet up, and if he is, you know, like what do we think? For a, a medium size, large, medium sized dog, like seventy five pounds, then yeah, I'm picturing the size of, of my dog Louie right here, and I think maybe a little bit bigger because they they compared it to a leopard. Yeah, so so if you're if you're getting hit with a ninety pound weight with teeth from twenty six feet up, that's gonna Saber knock teeth. you the fuck out. Mm-hmm. Like period. But the thing is, is so so I think if if the drop bear were to take on a yowie, it would hit the thing in the head, but. Panthers can climb from what we've been able to find. So I think they would sniff out the owie before it were it was able to drop or anything or the drop bear before it was able to drop or anything. Um and it's just it's a fast panther, so it could also dodge. But we also know like with the Yowie, the Yowie already crushed a dog. That's big. Big, it's beefy. So I don't I don't know if a panther would be able to take on a, a Yowie. So I think we've got a rock, paper, scissors type thing here. No, absolutely. I, I agree. Like I think it's just like drop bear beats. Drop bear beats Yowie, because Yowie's got a big enough head and, like, fast. But I think if a drop bear is a threat to humans wandering around in the woods, I'd say it's probably a threat to the Yowie. And then the Yowie's going to destroy the thylacine, because, like, if a thylacine can't take down a sheep, good fucking luck. Well, I've removed the thylacine from the equation at all. I'm saying that the thylacine would likely lose to all three of these. Yeah. But the well, panther, and the panther too. Yeah. The panther would shotgun a Coors Light, charge the Yowie, and the Yowie would just pick him up and crush him. Yeah, that's probably true. And like like we said, if Chris Hemsworth can deflect a drop bear, like I think that jacked Chris Hemsworth in a Yowie probably pretty similar as far as strengths and weaknesses go, you know? Yeah, I think that's accurate. So, 
if Chris Hemsworth, in that case, I'm going to give it to the Yowie just on the Chris Hemsworth comparison alone. Yeah, I, I, I think you're spot on there. Um, I think it would be an interesting Deadliest Warrior episode. Yeah, God, I missed that show. That was a that was a fun show. They always had like really bad uh, animations of what analytics looked like. <laughs> <laughs> it was they, like realistically. They always like shot things into giant gelatinous objects. Yeah, I do like that. I'm into that. Like I miss that about Mythbusters too. Well, what sucks is that was a History Channel show that was actually about history, and it was like random, but it was like you could actually learn something about what those, what each of those like ancient warriors fought with, and what their strategies were, and all those types of things. So yeah, before history became garbage. Ice Road Truckers, bro. Ancient Aliens. Ugh. So, yeah, we wins in a fight. What's your favorite? Oh, God, my favorite? Um, I love the concept of a cute, cuddly koala just dropping on people's heads. Because it reminds me of... Uh, my son is... Uh, you may have to cut this out, Ashton. Um, I'm going to start over. But it's... it's Yeah. It reminds me of... Uh, my, my son loved... Pokemon Sun and Moon, and one of the Pokemon there is a koala that sleeps all the time. So all I can envision is a beefed up version of that with giant teeth and with giant arms just fucking dropping out of trees and crushing people's heads. <laughs> yeah, no, I like, I, I could see it. I mean, it sounds, uh, it like, uh, it is, it's such a fun myth. I think, uh, I, so it's, it's interesting. Like, I, I am very partial to Bigfoot in general. So in that sense, I am inclined to like the Yowie, but then the the Blue Mountain Panther. I'm just interested to see where that goes. I like the idea that it could actually be out there, you know. And we'll probably, if it is, we'll see it in our lifetime. I bet. So uh, for that reason, I'm going to say Blue Mountain Panther because I love when cryptids become real. Have we seen that in our lifetime? Yeah, giant squid. That's right. Mm-hmm. Giant squid is like the best example where like this, it does happen. Uh, cryptids do become real. You know, I don't think that we're going to find giant apes walking around in the forest, but some of the stuff in the ocean, I'd buy it. Yeah, I mean, like, we're finding new species in the ocean yearly. I do wonder like, yeah, that, I think when we did uh, Cryptids of the Deep, like talking about the Meg, I, I think I came down on the side of like, it's possible that it's out there. Ocean's big. That's how I feel about most things in the ocean, though. But, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that is it for Cryptid Royale. That is it for season three, our off the rails season. We did it. It's done. Uh, we had to record the last episode twice. This is actually the second episode of Cryptids Decrypted I've had to record twice. The first was my interview with Peter Byrne. He was nice enough to do it two days in a row because the first time my recording device didn't work. As we close out season three, uh, I'd like to let you know we're going on hiatus for a while. Uh, John's about to have his second kid. 36 hours from now. 36 hours from now. It's coming up. And by the time this episode is out, kid, kid two will probably be here. And then, uh, I gotta go, uh, gotta go write the book. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's not as much fun to do the show without co-hosts. So we might do a few. We have a couple ideas for, we have a couple ideas from bonus episodes that you'll get a very sleep deprived version of me, but I am fully game for some of these. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah, I will spoil them because, you know, just they, they might come out. We might do some more stuff with Esoterica Cinema. I'd love to do another episode with uh, Jason. But yeah, like just season four proper, probably not going to start for a bit. And uh, so we're going to be sporadic. But in the meantime, just share our back catalog with your friends. If you haven't listened to it all, go back. There's some great episodes. And uh, I don't know. Stay weird. 
Thanks for listening. We really enjoy doing this. We're going to keep doing it eventually. And uh, for for everybody who has been with us from the beginning, for everybody who has been joining and then tagging with us, um, some of you have messaged us via Instagram about how you've enjoyed our work. Um, just thank you. It's it's awesome to have some kind of validation that you know. As much as I love bullshitting with Ashton, that people actually enjoy what we're listening to, and I just wanted to do uh, enunciate that really quickly. Thank you. It 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 gives credence to our work. Fifteen thousand listens, John. That's Fifteen thousand. That's insane. Um, so yeah, thank you. That's it for season three. Uh, you know, we'll be back. So yeah, like I said at the end of the show, we're going on a bit of a hiatus right now. It's just, uh, you know, it's busy times. And I, I want to make sure that when we do come back for a season four, that we can give you the consistency that we've sort of had towards the end of the season here. And just make sure that we're putting out good content. Um, so thank you for sticking with us we love doing this and we're going to keep doing it i will do bonus interviews whenever i can get interviews with people like i'm never going to turn down an opportunity to interview uh, somebody from the cryptozoology community because i love doing it and then whenever we can get john or we can get somebody else to fill in as a host you know we'll have some bonus episodes but there there will be content we're not going away but thank you so much for listening thank you for your support we really appreciate you see you soon